On today's episode of Locked On Suns, will the Suns finally get refereed like a championship contender with superstar players? Trade talk? What I want the G League team to be called? Your questions answered on a mailbag edition. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer over at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show wherever you get your podcast. Big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully the peak, the last of the heat. I know I've been saying that constantly, but I really do mean it. It is not. It is a big bummer. So if you're local, I'm glad that we can be spending this time together. If you're from anywhere else, I appreciate and love each and every one of you as well. We're hitting close to 6,000 on YouTube. We're here for you every single day of the week. Just search Locked On Suns wherever you find podcasts. We're free and available everywhere, every day for you throughout the offseason and beyond. Become an everyday or get locked onto the Suns from here on out. Very much to get to as we make our way closer to the season. But today it's a mailbag. Today, it is time to answer your questions. I put up a, a prompt, a request over on the Sun subreddit, and I got a ton of answers. I really appreciate you guys, um, like 40 answers, which I will definitely be back on Reddit because I'm not sure what's going on over on Twitter, and this is far more answers than I'm used to getting over there. I think the last one I looked and I got like nine. So uh, again, shout out to you guys. I will uh, shout out the individual question askers. And I hate to start on a negative note, but that's where we're going to go today. It's not too negative, but it is from Big Green Jelly 25 and he has the Jock Landale flair. Uh, hopefully you update that soon. Maybe you're just going to stick with Jock. I don't know. Either way, I uh, appreciate the question. He said, what do you predict will be the biggest weakness of next year's roster? So I want to start with the serious one. We're basically going to go serious, silly, serious, silly throughout because I did get some great, uh, you know, funny, more, uh, you know, uh, not so serious questions, but let's start with this one. I think to me, it could still be the rebounding. All right. I think when you just look at the, I mean, to me, it's, it's size, right? It's, it's size and front court depth. And I really mean size among the big man positions, because I actually think one of the strengths of the Suns as a team overall right now, and, and the way that they've built out this roster is overall size, like positional size at every spot on this depth chart, you're getting players who are big for their position, right? I mean, this is a team that might start 6'8", Kata Bates-Diop at the three, you know, 6'10", Kevin Durant at the four, and 6'11", DeAndre Ayton at the five with, you know, guys like Yuta Watanabe and even Booker and Beal being, you know, whoever you count as the point guard of those guys, big for, for their position. Josh Okoge brings a good amount of force and physicality and, and, and physical bulk to the wing spot, like all those things are good, but it is mostly that size in the front court and the rebounding problems that they may still have. I know Suns fans don't want to hear that, but I just think when you when you think about the fact that on, on the one hand, I expect them, and we'll talk about this a little bit as the show goes on, to focus more on transition defense. That is a hallmark of Frank Vogel's teams. They are one of the best de transition defenses in the league. 
and and rightly so. Like I think that's a good thing to focus on, but you're probably not getting offensive rebounding impact if you emphasize getting back and protecting uh, the basket and defensive rebounding. I mean, it's. I think Durant will make a big impact. I think a full season of Kevin Durant will really help there. I don't know if they'll be quite as bad as they've been in, in past years, but I do just feel that, you know, unless somebody like Bates Diop or Beal, I mean, I doubt that, right? Like, you're talking about a lot of the usual suspects. DeAndre Ayton is not somebody who is always known for owning the defensive glass. Devin Booker is a solid rebounder, but it's not as if he is a huge difference maker. You're also not going to rely on your guard to be that guy. And and again, back to the front court in terms of, you know, Eubanks, I think I've come around on him. I think he's going to be a positive. I think I had him fifth or fourth in the rankings we did on Monday's show, which I recommend in terms of impact among the role players. But again, he is only 6'9". Bull Bull is very big, but I'm not sure if he'll play. Chemezi Metu, if it gets to that, is also on the smaller side, even if he does have athleticism. So you're just not seeing a lot of players that add up to defensive rebounding impact. On the other hand, like just to be realistic there, I do think a lot of that comes down to effort, comes down to boxing out, comes down to focus and all of that. It's not as if, you know, understanding that there are guys, Andre Drummond or, you know, different players, Dwight Howard, who come through the league from time to time, who really own the glass. For the most part, it is a team effort. It is just about putting a butt on on your man, and it is about, uh, you know, just grabbing the ball and, and the big men doing their job and kind of having a plan of action of how to pursue loose balls and who, who kind of boxes out who, who stays to get the rebound versus who, you know, starts to focus on, on guarding their, their player, like all these different rules and stuff. It, it, they're professional basketball players at the highest of high levels. If you just focus on it, it should come. Maybe that does arrive via the coaching change. But some of the personnel stuff does lead me to worry about that. On uh, last note here, like that's a great problem to have, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it is a it is a very minor issue, even if it is one that has plagued this team. All things considered, um, they're going to improve in a lot of other ways that we'll talk about as the show continues. And so, even if rebounding is still a question mark or inconsistent. Every team has some weakness. There is no perfect basketball team, and and that as a problem to have as your biggest issue, you could do a lot worse. So uh, there's your basketball question for this segment. Let's go to the the sillier one, which is from um, I don't even know how to say this. Copes, Copies, Copy. I'm not sure. Uh, shout out to you. He said, "What would you name the G League team?" He suggested the Gorillas or the Monsoons. Um, I love the Gorillas with the sun as a mascot. That is a funny idea. I, I doubt that was your uh, your serious. Uh, we're talking about should. So you're all allowed to have your opinion. I'm allowed to have my opinion. None of it's going to necessarily happen. So we don't have to go in the realm of realistic. On that note, on the lo- on the not realistic note, I do uh, I do like this because I was trying to come up right. Like <clears throat> I literally spent time on the Phoenix wikipedia page being like what are some animals or some plants that are unique to the sonoran desert unique to the desert period that haven't already been taken because it's my opinion that the arizona coyotes is is the best team name that we that we have here in the valley i think it is just the one that coyotes just a cool animal it sounds cool it has a y in it you can 
people pronounce it different ways, but no matter how you say it, that word just like slides off the tongue in a cool way. And for a sports team name, that's kind of supposed to sound fierce and unique and all that stuff. It just works. But I was like, are there any that haven't been tapped into? And so the three that I have are all un up to this point, not have not been stolen outside of one example outside of sports that I'll get to, but the unique, funny, what I would just like in my dream world one, the Phoenix painted ladies. That I believe is a butterfly that is uh, indigenous to this area and looks cool. It's the orange one um, that I'm sure we've all seen. They're not going to name a team full of uh, macho athletic men who are very masculine and whatever um, or, or, or pretend to be uh, <laughs> the painted ladies. But I just like that idea. I think it'd be unique. I think the best G League names are the ones where you just kind of say F it and go for it. Like the, the go-go or the um, Motor City, the Memphis Hustle, right? Uh, Motor City's Detroit. Um, the Hustle, that is all uh, the best ones to me. Like, just go go very minor league baseball with it. Be goofy. Painted ladies would be awesome, but again, the ladies aspect, uh, I may be a little too embarrassing. Phoenix Gilas was another one. You could go Gila Monsters. I don't really love the long name, so like Phoenix Gilas. I think a Gila Monster, like, visually cool animal cool cooler than most even like a diamondback or a coyote or any of that stuff like i like that um the orange and black like you could play the sun's angle on that obviously they're going to be part of the organization they're going to wear the same colors i like it uh but gila's and then you're going to have the pronunciation problem of do people from out of town know to say gila you're going to say gila and gila and gila and a bunch of other ridiculousness so i kind of said no to that one the other big question is, is it Phoenix or not, right? And so Aaron and I, last week, Aaron Edwards and I, we talked about this a little bit, and I threw it at him, where should they play? We didn't talk name, we talked where, because that was kind of the news that was coming out. And we agreed, like, East Valley, Northeast Valley, Tempe, Scottsdale makes the most sense. The ASU arena is right there. This is where the practice facility is. I mean, the distance between the practice facility and ASU Stadium, what, 15 miles or so, like, reasonable enough. Um, but if that's the case, maybe they call it Scottsdale, right? And in that case, I like the idea of the Saguaros. I like the idea of going for something that is uh, not an animal, but still obviously has like the flair of here, you know, similar to the suns. Like that obviously gives off the desert vibe, but it's not an animal. Um, I just, there. I'm sure a lot of you have already heard that, and now you're already thinking of where I'm going to go next, which is that is an organization that already exists. It's one of those super culty, weird, like, clubs for rich people uh out in scottsdale the scottsdale saguaros i think it used to be like the 2030 club or whatever um out here and now it's called the saguaros like they probably have the inside track on that you're probably talking about sponsors and donors and you know whatever the circles that the rich people who work for the suns and around the suns will already be familiar with that the territory has already been claimed but I like the Saguaro idea. I think that's a, from a branding standpoint, you could do some cool visual stuff. And it is one that has not been taken because that's the other thing. When you talk about minor leagues and different, uh, less popular sports and all this different stuff, like there's not exactly a lot of animals or things like deserty stuff that's not already been, been taken. Roadrunners and Thunderbirds and a bunch of these things have come and gone already. You can't, you don't get it. You don't get to have it. So. We'll see what they do. I hope it's creative. I hope it's fun. It might not be desert related. Maybe it's just a completely random uh, 
description of the area that has nothing to do with the desert. I don't know. It seems like a missed opportunity when you already have Suns and Mercury, but we'll see. All right, next up, TJ McConnell news and my least favorite commercial in recent years during Suns broadcasts, and I have the perfect one. It's not local, but I got you covered with that as well, so stay tuned for today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. I am fully in the baseball mood. I have my Diamondbacks hat on. And if you jump in, you bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to go hit that first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. So there's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 back in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Keeping it rolling, let's do the fun one first in this segment. We'll mix it up here. And that is from Echo Dad. He asked, what is the worst commercial during Suns broadcasts? Um, which I really uh, love. It is, a, it is a perfect diehard sicko fan question of all of us who have spent too much time watching Fox Sports Arizona, Valley Sports Arizona over the years. And it is a particular, like, and you get this if you watch League Pass too. You get the other cities' versions of this, but ours, you know, you're most familiar with, of just the same slew of repeated commercials over and over and over and over for years um and the other like awful part is for if you're like me you've you watch on the app um i don't have cable i uh we don't need to get into the details of (laughs) ways in which others can watch that type of thing but um the the waiting music which is like its own disgusting like remix of elevator slash whole like phone hold operator music and it's just the worst and so you get that playing and then you get these same commercials and it is enough to drive anybody absolutely crazy so some of the ones that echo dad suggested or maybe was offering as his least favorites um the casino arizona you do you guy i think it's casino arizona banner health sweet james um, I also would say from this past year, the fries commercials really got out of hand and, and annoying. I don't even remember the jingle. I think that's a testament to my sanity that I've been able to get rid of it out of my brain. But I have a old one that came to mind immediately. This is not me pulling back further just to be cool. I promise you, this is the one that drove me more crazy than anyone ever has. And it is Jim Beam specifically the era when Mila Kunis was the the spokesperson and it had the like whistly country music that was like a like a western like the theme song to a western movie I think that's still their theme song but it doesn't play as much on the Suns broadcasts anymore and I don't think Mila Kunis is involved but that like whistly song with like the thumpy bass and then her face and it just was like they had the same commercial running for, I swear to you, like, it felt like three years. Like, I feel like the entirety of the time that I was in college, that that exact advertisement was playing. So there's your answer. Jim Beam, Mila Kunis. Uh, if Jim Beam wants to sponsor us, fantastic. That's okay. Uh, that, I take back everything I said. From Jizwardo, which, uh, yes, just said that on the podcast. You're welcome, sir. 
I have no idea what that stands for. It is no in no way an innuendo. I have no clue what that could possibly mean. Uh, he said, your most desired player that we could re- realistically use the traded player exceptions on. Who would you like and who do you see getting shipped? So um, just to clarify, because I do think this gets confusing for people, the Suns have two traded player exceptions now, one of which uh, is in the $6 million range, one of which is just shy of $5 million. That one is from the Charge deal. The bigger one, the six-ish million dollar one between six and seven is via the Cameron Payne trade. So that is that is where we are. Um, and I'm not saying, okay, six and a half million dollars is the, is the pain one. I didn't want to get that wrong. 4.9 is the charge one. And, uh, just to clarify, because we're on the topic here, uh, I, I believe you can trade players in addition to traded player exceptions, but I, I don't think the rules really make it make sense to do that. And I'm not honestly positive that you even can. Of course, you can attach picks to it, which is very common, which I would expect we will see if the Suns use these. But so the last part of your question of who do you see getting shipped out, it's not quite how it really works. The, the TPE is the thing that, that you get, that allows you to get somebody. You don't have to send a player. You, you have the exception, that's what it's for. So just so we're all on the same page before I answer the question, um, I don't have a lot of targets with the bigger one just because it seems like at this point the Suns are going to use it in season, um, I would think, uh, or at least in camp potentially. But I, I'm, I'm expecting in season. And so to me it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to guess based on what we know right now. There might be these Lillard and Harden and potentially even like Siakam trades, if not, you know, like Joel Embiid, like I don't think that's going to happen, but we never know, and the league will get all, all shuffled around. So like now that the dust has settled from free agency, I don't have a lot of targets in mind, but what I will do is use this as an opportunity to talk about TJ McConnell because that is the name that's out there, once again, from Mark Stein that got put out that the Suns uh, continue to have interest in TJ McConnell, but now that they don't have Cameron Payne on their roster, just don't have means to really go out and get him. Um, I do want to shout out David Nash, who's always really good at this cap stuff and, and pointed out like the Suns don't, even if you wait until mid season and you're trying to stack up all these minimum players that they have, like you would have to trade so many players in order to get up to TJ McConnell's salary because all the Suns really have is minimums to deal um, that it doesn't really make sense for it to happen that way. Now that Payne is gone, there's really no player-for-player player trade on the Suns roster to get TJ McConnell. What could happen, though, is you could see if McConnell, because he makes more than these t- traded player exceptions, right? So he can't just be absorbed right into that. But what they could do with something maybe like the $6.5 million exception that they have for Payne is to go out and acquire a player... Um, with that exception, and then add that player to one or two of their minimums, probably just you try to have it just be one of their minimums, and then now you're in the range of McConnell, and you're only giving up two players and a limited number of picks and, and all that stuff, and, and it starts to make a little bit more sense. Um, I will throw this out because it's been getting a little bit of attention online, but not a lot of this roster crunch that the Suns, uh, that, sorry, that the Thunder have. They basically, they cut Rudy Gay this week, but even with that, they have 19 guaranteed contracts, and uh, they're going to have some interesting decisions to make, either cutting guys that they just traded for, cutting guys who make a lot of money, like Davis Bertans, or cutting players who they drafted and developed who they might like still, like Trey Mann, 
or uh, Kenrich Williams. I don't think he would be a cut candidate, but you see where I'm going, which is that I think Kenrich Williams is, to me, a a pretty good example of the type of name to be looking at. And I know Brandon Duenas, who hosts the show with me on Monday, is a big Kenrich fan. He seems a little more like a Monty Williams player, I'm not going to lie, than maybe a Frank Vogel player, but... The right, the right kind of nature, right? He makes six point two million, so he would fit right into that Cam Johnson uh, campaign exception, and then he he could play, right? Like he's a rotation player in the NBA, and he's youngish, and like is kind of the perfect type of asset that you might want to try to get. You know, the traded player exception that you would absorb him into, and then you send the Thunder, let's say three of the five second round picks that the Suns have. Or two even. I don't know. I don't know what it would take. I don't know how much they like Kenrich. But that could be the type of thing that happens during camp. And then maybe that allows them to say, okay, now Kenrich plus this. I'm not sure how the rules work on retrading somebody again like that. I don't know about all the the timing and the, the CBA nature of that. But I like the idea of the stacking element of what that can do. Even if it doesn't end up being like that, I still think Kenrich is the type of player you'd be looking at. So there's my one name. But again... That's just because I do think that OKC thing will come to a head a little bit here in the next little bit, whereas a lot of stuff will change between now and the deadline when I expect them to use it. On to the last two questions. What year would I have preferred the Suns to win a championship? Yes, it is probably the year you're thinking. And then we'll talk officiating and offensive style. So we'll deep dive into some nerdy stuff as well to close things out first. Another quick break. Coming back, closing out the show, let's go with, we'll alternate. I'll do one uh, nitty-gritty question, I'll do the silly one, and then we'll get into another deep dive in the stats realm. But let's start here from Simple Minded One, and I uh, I really love the flair on this one, which is posing in my second apron, really just making a mockery of NBA rules and regulations and uh, owning the front-runner status. I really love it. All right, so the question is, the Suns have had a history of being considered a soft team by the refs. They really got to the free throw line and, or they really had the free throw advantage is what he said. And then, um, or she, with this new bigger, longer lineup, along with the new defensive minded head coach, do you think the Suns will be refed differently this year? So, uh, to answer the part of it that you said there with your question, uh, I don't really think the Suns have ever, I don't know. Uh, it seems like you are more worried about the defensive side of like, I'm sure you're thinking of Giannis, Anthony Davis, Luka. Guys have been able to get to the line at will against the Suns and sort of the fact that the officials don't give the Suns the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I have a, I have bad news for you, which is that no team gets the benefit of the doubt against those guys. That is not really a Suns-specific or unique uh, trend you know, Giannis was going to parade to the free throw line no matter if it was the Nuggets or the Clippers or the anybody who played them in the finals. Um, Luca, same thing. Anthony Davis, same thing. Whatever example you want to pull from, that's going to be the case. I think it's been more of a problem on the offensive end. It's one thing to play a player like that, to play a team with a player like that and have to deal with 30 free throw attempts a game. It's another thing when you're getting 10, right? And I do think that that is a, a fair concern among Suns fans, and I do think they get a bad whistle fairly often. Um, I think Booker has shown, though, that when he commits to trying to draw fouls, uh, it's going to be better. I think last year, even the year before, he made progress there. It's just about 
it, it has to be part of your game. It has to be part of your mindset. I mean, even the greatest players, we think of them as, oh, they're just getting a good whistle. I know nobody wants to hear this, but like it is exhausting for Giannis to do that. It is a concerted effort. Even if you think it's BS, the reality is like he's it's effort. It's it's physical intention and and physicality and force that you have to do it. And if you get the call, you get the call. But even to even to try to draw the foul, it is a style it is a choice right so the Suns have to have that Booker can be one part of it I think Duran is a walking 10 free throws when he wants it uh and we'll see about Beal but I mean even if nothing else Beal will definitely get to the line more than Chris Paul more than anybody else on this in the guard rotation outside of Booker would have if they had not gotten Beal right so even that will help um and so I think that's really more where it comes from I don't know if it's really the bigger lineup I don't really know if it's any sort of coaching change or anything like that I think it's just going to be personnel, right? The Suns free throw ranks in in the four years that Monty was here. They were 27th last year, 25th the previous year, 27th the finals run, and then 5th in Monty's first year. And I actually think that 5th is a decent example of another way that some of this can happen. And one way that I'll say I do think the coaching and, and philosophy changes could make a little bit of a difference, right? Because that first season, it was basically just the sun. Like, Monty was letting the personnel dictate things a lot more that year, right? So you had the, a lot of that free throw attempt stuff was driven by Booker, but a lot of it was also driven by Kelly Oubre. They were turning defense into offense. They were playing faster that year, uh, you know, around Ricky Rubio, who prefers that type of style. I would say the big men, Baines and Ayton were both, you know, foul drawers, and so uh, that is another way to do it. And so I do think the Suns turning defense into offense, playing more in transition, that can help you too. So I'll give you that. But the best free throw teams in the league this year, I mean, every year, they have interior scoring stars. Last year, all of these teams were in the top 10. Philly, the Lakers, the Kings, the Mavs, the Heat, and the Pelicans. Okay, so, you know, Embiid, Davis, and LeBron, Fox and Sabonis, Luka, Butler, and you know Zion and Ingram so like that's that's the best way to do it it's really not about coaching or play style it is about do you have a player who can score on the interior or do you not and the Suns have three of those guys so ideally that should help all right last uh last fun one here and then we'll do one more on the offense which this fun one is via cactus hooping love that uh maybe it's just phoenix cacti for the G League team I don't know confuse people with the spelling and pronunciation Again there. He said, which previous year would you have preferred a Suns championship? And this is the one I teased coming into the, the, out of the last segment. It is exactly the one that, uh, that, that everybody probably has. I mean, 20, 2010, like, that was, like, the one that I was probably the most into because I was, like, fully a person by then, not a kid. Uh, but that was such a fluke and it sort of felt like even getting there was, was somewhat of a blessing and were the Suns going to beat the Celtics. I mean, maybe, but I don't necessarily think so. And so I don't know. 93 similar, right? It's Jordan. Like would have been sweet to beat him, but it never, I, to me, like I wasn't around for that, but like, I sort of think, I guess that was in the first three Pete. So he didn't feel so inevitable, but it just felt like at that point, like, again, sort of being competitive and getting there was pretty nice. And so that's sort of where I'm thinking about it. It's not so much like which one would have felt the best or who would have been best to beat or anything like that. It's just like, which one was the one that should have gone a different way? And so you probably know where I'm going. It's 0607. It's the Robert Ory hip check. It is the suspensions for him as well as 
for Amari and Diaw. But honestly, like the interesting part, and I'm not going to try to make it feel better to anybody. It definitely does not feel good, and, and there's no way to change that. But what's weird is like the the home aspect of it is the the significant part. The fact that Game Five was at home. But the intriguing kind of like subtext there is they only lost that game by three, and you don't look at that and feel like oh, if they had had their big men, things would have gone so different. Like the rebounding, I think this, I look back today, the Suns won the rebounding battle. The Spurs did get more free throws, so maybe you could look at that. To me, it's really just losing Amari's scoring because I think it was 88-85. And it's like, yeah, if you if you just think about a world in which he's there, you probably feel you're closer to 90, 100 points, and, and maybe that's enough, and then the series goes a different way. But they were a top half in, in, in the NBA in defense that year. They were far and away by like three points per hundred possessions, the best offense in the league still, you know, but it was really the culmination of that era. You had everybody basically finally healthy. Amari was healthy. Amari was better than obviously he was the first Nash year and Barbosa was at his peak basically at that point. You had both Kurt Thomas and Boris Diaw at kind of the peak of their powers instead of just one or the other or one of the three between if you include Amare. So it just, like, everything was building to that year. From there, it turns into the Shaq trade, and then, you know, D'Antoni leaves, and it all just, you know, never really happened, as I don't think anyone here needs to be remembered, uh, reminded. But that's my answer for you, Cactus. Last one. From TRS-287 and the Flare is just Robert Sarver, which... Say la vie. Do your thing. He said, without CP3 and a new head coach, what do you think will be different in the way the offense is run this year? So, uh, again, the Chris Paul part of it is, is fair, and that's where I'll start. Last in transition frequency last year, although it did tick up in the postseason. And last in, uh, not last, but bottom five in isolation frequency. So those are both hallmarks of both Monty and Chris Paul. It's pretty much inseparable, and so I get your question, right? Without Chris Paul and the new head coach. But uh, even as I say that, I'll I'll then jump to the other trend, which is that uh, they were sixth in the postseason in transition frequency and third in the postseason in isolation frequency. And so I think really... It's less to do with Chris Paul and Monty Williams and more just the arrival of Kevin Durant and now the arrival of Bradley Beal. The, the offensive evolution that we're going to see this season started in the playoffs. All right. You're going to see more ISOs. You're going to see them play faster. You're going to see them basically just make the most of the best players, right? And with that, will probably come a little bit less ball movement, but you even look at spot-up frequency, right? How many of their possessions ended with a spot-up player taking a shot or turning the ball over. So sometimes that is Booker or Durant, but a lot of the time a spot-up possession, unless you have an, uh, an elite like Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, guy like that, uh, most of those spot-up possessions are going to end for role players, especially in the case of the Suns. And I think that is a weakness that we saw when you're running the .5 offense that Money wants to run, but the ball begins in the best player's hands, you're creating a dynamic where you want to move the ball, you want to create space within the court for shooters and cutters and things like that, but those guys are, your, are not your best players, right? And so when Durant got here, when Booker leveled up and the ball got put into his hands, partially when Chris Paul got hurt, but really not even, even just 
Booker taking control the way that he did, already showed us what this offense will look like, how it will change. They're going to play faster. They're going to play, well, faster in terms of getting out and transition more, but I think in the half court, maybe even a little slower or at least a little bit more, uh, a little bit fewer actions, right? And I think that'll be for the best. I really do in terms of what this roster is, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that they put together a roster of shooters who can make open threes. But if you can take a couple away from those guys and, and result in maybe a, a couple more trips to the free throw line for Kevin Durant or something, like to, to chime back to the last question, I think you'll take that, right? Even if you do think Yuta Watanabe can make a corner three. Well, sure he can, but you know what else? Uh, Kevin Durant can make a free throw line jumper and Devin Booker can get to the free throw line for you. Like those are even better, higher quality possessions. So I think that'll start to be the trade-off that we see and uh, we already saw it, as I said. All right, that'll wrap us up. Thanks for listening. Thank you for the questions. Maybe we'll do that once a week throughout the offseason. I'll, I'll see how the Reddit uh, engagement looks as we go, but lots of good ones. Back tomorrow with more news on this team and around the league. Hit follow or subscribe. We're free and available everywhere. All you got to do is hit that button, and I'll be in your feed every Monday through Friday throughout the offseason and beyond, and I will catch you all tomorrow.